Father God, we give you praise. Let's stand. Lord, we give you praise. And we give you glory. And we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the word that will heal us, it will cleanse us, and it will draw us closer to you. And we thank you for the word, Father God, that will heal this world if it will allow it. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to be all over the place this morning. I really am. Uh, boy, what a week that we've had. And uh, I'm going to start it with this. Two or three months ago, I started praying. And uh, I said to the Lord, I said, I don't operate in the power of that I used to operate in. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, well, that's not my fault. Because he reminded me that the calling and the gifts of God are irreconcilable, which means that the gifts and the calling are yours. Then he reminded me that the gifts are subject to the prophet and not the prophet to the gifts. And then he reminded me how I depended on him for everything. And I have told you the story many times about being at the VA. I have worked at the VA and how God called me out of there. There's a young man and, and uh, an older pastor out of Springfield, Missouri said to me, I want you to come and hold me a revival. Well, I was preaching, uh, but I was actually also my dad's worship leader. Um, Nancy and I was his worship. I was his worship leader, and we also did the youth ministry. And our youth was larger than his church, believe it or not. And I operated that way. And so this older fellow, he said to me, he said, I want you to come and hold me a revival. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. And uh, I said, okay, I will. But I will tell you, man, uh, have you ever played baseball or football or basketball and how you have them butterflies before the game starts? You know what I'm talking about, huh? And then finally the butterflies go away. I had butterflies. We got butterflies this morning. I have butterflies every time I preach. And so I, I go to this church and, and uh, hold this week revival, seven-day revival. And uh, I was extemporaneous preacher at that time. and That means I didn't take too many notes. I would read and I would pray and I would read and I would pray and God used me. And I, I remember the first time that I'd ever dealt with a demon in someone. And, and so I lay hands on this guy and demonic spirit manifested. And I had absolutely no idea what that was. None whatsoever. But uh, the pastor knew. Okay, and he took over, and I was really glad that he took over. Okay, I'd never seen nothing like that in my life. Okay, well, that was something. But before that happened, we was we would go to a little church. Nancy and I went to a little church in Dearborn, Missouri, and uh, 
uh, wasn't very many people. I mean, if you had 12 people there, you had a congregation. And all the pews were only for two people. Okay, so two people, actually they were deacon benches. And I, I remember an uh, older sister, and uh, she was quite a large lady, and she had uh, uh, cancer on both, on her face. Uh, both cheeks had cancer. It was big, big sores, and, and they were oozing. They were pretty nasty, okay, and for some reason she didn't cover them up. I don't know why. But I remember my dad set that woman on the altar, and when he set her on the altar, he laid hands on her and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And they fell to the floor right in front of me. Now, you don't have to believe that, but the truth is still the truth. Okay, whether you believe it or not, the truth is still the truth. And they fell on the floor. And when I saw that, that made an impression on me that I, I knew that's what I wanted. So that's what I asked God for. Right then, I asked the Lord for that. Because... I, I saw the power of God working. And so I operated in the gifts. I operated in power. Uh, when I preached, and God would give me a word, and I would preach the word. And I had a van. I had an old Ford Econoline van. I remember it was a three-speed six-cylinder without air conditioning. And I kind of had it set up in the back so that I could go in there and sit down or lay down. And I remember that I would just read the Word and I'd pray all day. I'd read the Word before I'd go to church that night. And, and I, would, I would preach. And I, I remember going between Lebanon and, uh, uh, Lebanon and Buffalo. There was, uh, it was 27 miles. And I, I was staying in Buffalo, preaching in Lebanon. And there was a little forest for about 10 miles. It was a dense forest, and the, the, uh, the uh, uh, highway went through this forest. And I remember I was in a pickup truck at that time, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was a demon in the back of that truck. And I saw him just perfect. And I can still remember, he was a hideous thing. He was there, and I, I looked around, and there wasn't nothing back there. So now I think I'm hallucinating, okay? And so I'm driving, and I look in that mirror, and there's that demonic spirit. It's in the back again. And, and uh, I turn around, and it's not there. So that happened three or four times. And finally, I said to the Lord, I said, Now, Lord, you know I'm afraid. And I said, I've, I never experienced anything like that. I was going to experience a lot of things after that. But that was my first time. Here's what the Lord said to me. He said, do not be afraid. He's out there and not in here. That's what he said. He said, do not be afraid. He's out there and not in here. And all of a sudden, that thing then just disappeared. And so the Lord taught me how to handle demonic spirits. And he taught me how to come into spiritual warfare, which is, that is my gifting, is uh, spiritual warfare. And so I'm, I'm reminded of a few things. And and Henry's been with me when we've been in spiritual warfare and we've, we, we've seen people miraculously healed. We've seen people that... that uh, I, I remember in Lebanon, Missouri, I was preaching at Grace Calvary and a woman comes in, she can't walk, she's dying of cancer and they have people holding her up and she has a little bitty baby 
and she is dying. She's jaundiced. She is so weak she can't walk, and they're helping her. And she came up there. Before I laid hands on her, I said, what do you want? And she said, I want to live long enough to see him go to school. And I laid hands on her, and I remember saying, then so be it. God says you can have that in the name of Jesus. And she lived. She got better. And she lived to see that little baby go to school. Isn't that right? Isn't that amazing? Saw that. One day a woman comes into the church, and, and her dog has been hit by a car, and it's dying. And she says, is there anybody in here that will pray for my dog? And the pastor said, we don't pray for animals. I said, I do. I do. And I, I laid hands on that dog. God healed that dog. Well, God saved that woman through that. It wasn't about that dog. It was about that woman getting saved, okay? And that young pastor really learned a lesson right there, all right? And I'm not going to tell you I haven't learned many lessons because I have. And so I, I'm, I'm taking it to the Lord. And so the Lord says, listen, he said, those gifts are still subject to you. And he said, and, and, I, and I knew that in ministry also about the gifts was that I used all of the gifts at different times. You know, some, we operate in certain gifts that God has given us, like the gift of miracles and the gift of faith and those gifts. But we can operate in all nine gifts Whatever you need at the time. I remember an old professor saying the gifts. He said, you use the gift that you need at that time. And, and that's true. Now something about God. God does not give you a gift and then get mad at you and take it away from you. He doesn't do that. And one thing about God also is he gives you a gift and you get mad at him and he doesn't take it away from you. You know, like a woman or a man that gets angry and and puts their kids in the will, takes their kids out of the will, puts their kids in the will, you know, like, like the, the uh, well, I won't go into that joke because you'll all boo me, okay? But, but that, that's the way that is. God's not that way. So then when God gives something to you, that's yours. Can you agree to that? Really, can you agree to that? Well, when he gave you salvation, he's not going to take it away from you. And you need to get a hold of that right there. Okay, especially we Pentecostals need to get a hold of when God saved us and give us the gift of grace and of mercy. He's not going to take that away from us. Praise the Lord. Now, you never have to use it and you can get away from it, but, but on God's part, God keeps his word. So I'm going to go over to Romans chapter 10, and he's going to bring up chapter 10. Now, Nancy and I are driving to uh, Council Bluffs Sunday. I mean Saturday, because we got a granddaughter that had a birthday. We have so many grandkids and so many great-grandkids that we have birthdays every day. Two and three a month. Okay, we really do. It's, it's amazing to me. Okay? And so what was pretty neat was <clears throat> that Nancy said, what do you want? I said, here, I took some money out of my pocket with dollar bills. I said, here, give these to her. And Nancy got her all these nice, pretty little rings, and everybody got her nice little toys. You know what she liked? The money. That's where our heart's at, okay? So, so we're driving, and when we drive, Nancy takes the word, and she reads it to me. And I, I like listening to Nancy read. We, she reads to me, and I drive. Isn't that right? That, that's, that's our relationship. And she reads to me the Bible, by the way, not other things, but she reads me the Bible. 
And, and she knows I like Revelation, so she, goes, she reads Revelation a lot, okay? And so then she'll always go to the proverb of that day, and if we've missed any, then she brings them up to date, okay? But we do that. And so the Lord is speaking to me, and here's what he says to me. He says, he, he asked this question, and it's, it's rhetoric because he's going to answer the question. He said, why do we speak? Why do we speak? That's what he said to me. He said, why do we speak? And here's why we speak. So our words can fall on an eardrum. That's why we speak. So that my words right now, as I'm speaking to you, are falling on your eardrum. And you're able to hear. And if it wasn't for that, then there would be no point in speaking. So words. And, and words are so powerful. And, and words are powerful. Now, now the Bible teaches us in Proverbs, and I think it's 18.22. Don't go there because I might have missed it. But it says this. It says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, I'm not an NIV person, and I would say don't read the NIV because I don't care for it. But the NIV is the only translation that puts life before death, and I like that. The NIV says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. All the others say death and life are in the power of the tongue. So this is what we know. We know that either we're going to speak death or we're going to speak life, and listen to what it says. And then it says we eat the fruit thereof. Okay, what our tongue speaks. So why do we speak? We speak because we want our words to fall on an eardrum. Now that's why when you read Revelation, he tells you to do three things. First of all, he says read it. Number two, he says heed it. And then he says read it aloud. And why do you read it aloud? Because when you read it aloud, it falls on your eardrum. And then all of a sudden, things start making sense to you because it's amazing that when Nancy reads to me, I can get more out of her reading to me than when I sit and read in silence. That's true. And so when I want, when I want to really get a hold of something, then I read it out loud because my words have to hit my eardrum so that they're making sense to me. And my words today has to hit your eardrum so they make sense to you. Now, I'm going to go over into Isaiah a little bit. But right now, I want to go to Romans chapter 10. And I'm going to start with verse 10 through 13. Now, most of the time, you would think that I was going to start with 8 and 9. But I'm not. I'm going to start with 10 because we know what 8 and 9 says. 8 and 9 says this. It says, faith is even in your mouth. What faith? Faith that we speak. And, and then he goes on to say this. He says, if you will confess with your mouth, let it land on an eardrum, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is that important? Because it also lands on the devil's eardrum. How many of you got that? It don't just land on a human being, but it, it lands on the devil's eardrum that he is hearing now that person who was lost in sin confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, confessing with their mouth. He hates to hear that. And then the second thing is, believe in your heart that God raised him from the, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you shall be saved. But now watch this. In, in verse 10, and he's going to bring verse 10 up. I, I, I want him to do that. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confess, confession is made unto salvation. Now go to 11. 
For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Let's go to 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon his name. And then number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen to what's happening here. We're calling on the name of the Lord and we're calling out and we're speaking. And as we speak, it's hitting an eardrum. And guess who, who else's eardrum it's, it's, it's hitting? It's hitting the Lord's eardrum. And he's hearing what you have to say. And what you are saying is that you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. What you are saying that you want your sins forgiven and you want to be with the Lord forever. Do you understand that? And so when we say that, we need to confess that. And when we confess that, we're saying to the world, we're saying to mankind, we're saying to the devil himself and receiving from the Lord that we are receiving you as our personal Savior, and we believe. And so we're speaking those things. We're speaking those things. For instance, it, when, when you do counseling, and which I do, you have to change a person's terminology the way that they talk. Because it's always their cancer, it's always their diabetes, it's always their insanity. And what happens is you personalize it and you take it within yourself. No, that's not my cancer, that's foreign to my body, get it out. That's not my diabetes, that's foreign to my body. God, when God created me, he created me whole and he created me healed. Somebody say amen to that. So it's not mine, it's not my pneumonia, it's not my AIDS, it's not my COVID. No, that has been placed on you because of sin, because of the Adamic nature. I liked what, what Doc Shell said, if anybody caught it. He, he made Adam in his image. He made them female and, male and female in his image. But after Adam had sinned, that's an interesting thing, after Adam had sinned, then you go over and when he has a son called Seth, then it, the, the Bible says that Seth was made in the image of Adam. Okay, not the image of God. So, you know, before you're saved, you're not in the image of God. It's after you get saved, you're in the image of God. Because before you get saved, you're in the image of the first Adam. And the first Adam, what did he do? He fell from the grace of God, and then we was all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so the last Adam has to come and deliver us from our sins. And how does he do that? We speak it. We speak it. And you say it's not that powerful. Your words are powerful in the kingdom. My words are powerful in the kingdom. And listen to this. My words and your words are powerful in hell. It's an amazing thing what God does here. And so he's doing, he, he, he wants to use our words. He wants to use our words. Now, I want, I want uh, John, I didn't give you this one, I don't think. But did I give you Romans eleven twenty nine? Okay, I did. I want you to watch this. Romans eleven twenty nine. Now, now keep that up there just for a minute, John. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Does everybody see that? Now listen to what he's talking about. He's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the Jews here. And what he's saying, he's saying is that the Jews are going to come back to the Lord. He's going to teach there that the Jewish people are going to come back to the Lord. And when he does, he's reminding them for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. What God has said to them and what God has said to the church. You can take it off now. 
And so what, what's taking place here is that God is saying something. Now listen, I mean, Paul is saying something to the Romans. And listen to what he's saying. He's saying, now God took an olive branch out of the tree. Everybody got a hold of that? The original olive branch. And then what he did was he, he grafted in that olive tree, a wild olive tree branch. And that, that tree branch that's grafted in is the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were brought to salvation, now listen, to make the Jewish people jealous of God. And so God allowed us to come in so that the Jewish people would become jealous for the Lord like never before. And then God, and then Paul starts to warn the Gentiles whom he was the apostle to, which he wanted to warn, warn us, and he said, don't get too full of yourself because the same God that grafted you in is the same God that can take you out and put back in the original olive branch. How many of you got that? That's powerful. You look at it. He, so what he's saying? He's saying you need to stay humble because we've been grafted in by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why have we been grafted in? To bring the Jewish people back to the Lord. And listen to what he says. He said what, what God's going to do in the church and establish himself. That one day the Israelites or Israel is going to get a hold of that. And they are going to become jealous for the Lord. And they will return. And then he says all of Israel will be saved. And why are they going to be saved? Because of the Gentiles, because of us. And so that's an amazing thing. So how does this take place? How does it take place? It takes place this way. We start to speak it. And when we start to speak it, we start to speak the prophetic. And when we start to speak the prophetic, then God operates inside of us. Because listen to what he says. He says this, he says, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He's saying that to the Roman church, I, I mean the church in Rome, and he's also saying about the Gentiles, and I mean about the Jews, and he's saying the Jews are going to come back because the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. It's amazing. And then he looks at them and he says to them, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And this is what I want to tell you. The gifts, of God, uh, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Which means what you had God give you when you got saved and then he filled you with the Holy, Holy Spirit is what you're going to stand on judgment day for. How about that preacher that won't preach? How about that deacon that's full of himself and won't allow that preacher to preach? How about some of the things that we have allowed to come into our churches and we have accepted those things as normal when we know that they're not normal, but we've been accepted, accepted and we will stand before the Lord. He's going to say this, I'm going to hold you accountable. Every single person in this church today is held accountable. Now I want him to go over to Isaiah chapter 28 verses 10 through 13 because this, this is really good here. And watch what he's going to do. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Verse 12. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Verse 13. But the word of the Lord was up on them, precept upon precept, 
precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. What did he leave out? He left out the stammering lips and the foreign tongue. He left it out. It's an amazing thing when you look at this. I'm just going to read something. Why? Because listen, our words are, are powerful. Precept. Listen, he said, I'm going to put the law of language arts into practice here. Precept upon precept. Get it right. Get it right. Well, we have preachers today that are outstanding, putting precept upon precept. Understand, third, first person, second person, third person, talking about the imperative, talking about a lot of things, talking about different things, Greek words. I don't use a lot of Greek words. I use Greek definitions. Don't use them because you're not going to remember them. And to me, it doesn't make sense anyway. Okay? And I took a, a Greek class. And I took th those classes. But I thought, I'm not going to use those because people don't understand them anyway. So I can give you. I, I said to a guy one time teaching Greek. I got really tired of that. Okay? Because people that, that do that Greek stuff, they, they want to just make us think they're smart. So he got up there and he wrote this Greek word on the wall and I raised my hand. He said, what? And I said, I think you misspelled that. He walked out. The guy got mad at me and just walked out and I never saw him again. It's amazing. Well, I saw him again, but it was a long time. He got upset. Okay, so, so we, we can hear the Greek. We, we can hear the Hebrew. We can hear all of those things and let not get one one step closer to the Lord. It's totally amazing. Man, when I was young and I was in that ministry and I never knew anything about the Greek until I thought, well, I better go to college. And so I went to Calvary Bible College and I thought, well, I better get a little bit of an education. And so I started doing those things and I got in there and I'm glad I went in there because they taught me a lot of things, okay? And, and they opened up some of the word for me and I really appreciated that. But what they didn't open up for me at Calvary was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I was interested in, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My mom and dad weren't Pentecostal. They were holiness, okay? Uh, like the Broses back there, they were Nazarenes. That's holiness. And some of us come out of the holiness movement. My mom and dad were really strict and mean. Well, I mean, really strict. Did I say mean? It's on there. Yes, I did see that. But they were strict. I mean, man, alive, man. It's a wonder we're even serving the Lord today. That's how strict they were. Okay? And, and so, so, you know, we was in that holiness movement. But what was so amazing to me was when we went to church, we always went to a Pentecostal church. And yet my dad didn't believe in tongues. How does that go? How does that go? But this kid, I, I'm listening to him speak in tongues, and I'm going, that's pretty awesome. Okay? That's pretty awesome, you know. And then my dad would go in there and preach, and he would preach, and people would come to the altar, and then we'd get out of there, and he said, now don't listen to the tongues. And I'm going, well, that don't make sense. Why are we coming to this church? Yeah, and, and, but, but what happened was it, it had an adverse effect, which made me really interested because I wanted to know. Inquiring minds want to know, right? And so I, I wanted to know. I thought, Wow. Man, I'm being introduced to something here. I'm not being told at home, but somebody's going to help me. And then I went started going to that little Assembly of God church. Remember that little Assembly of God church in Elwood, right there by where you guys live now? And I started going to that, and I was just a young guy. Man, I had fun in that church, man. Them people stand up and praise the Lord. We didn't have worship in them days. We had song leaders. 
Remember that song leaders, turn to page 394, when I see the blood, you know, and all those things. We didn't have worship like we got today. Today's worship so much better than the worship was then. But you know what was amazing to me? Then people stand up and start clapping, boy, and they'd start shouting. And then I'm really going to bust some of your bubbles. One of them might take off running. Oh, yeah, man. Take off running around that church, man. The power of God had come into that place. And the next thing you know, man, the glory of the Lord had come in there. And people are shouting. We didn't even know when we get out of church until we, it was finally over. But I love going there, man. And those preachers, man, they were so good to me. I, I cannot remember a bad Assembly of God preacher when I was a young man growing up. Can't remember it. They was good because at that, it was different. It was a different day. It was different and those people love the Lord. And man, they get speaking in tongues. And I'm going, man, my dad tells me I shouldn't listen to that. Boy, that's pretty neat. You know? This is kind of interesting because once they'd start doing that, man, it seemed like the power of God come down in that place and the anointing came in there. And then they'd start praying for the sick and people would be healed. And then they'd start praying uh, uh, for people that had demonic spirits and they'd come out. And it was totally amazing because I wasn't used to that, okay? But I really, really liked that. No, my dad did not go to Assembly of God Church. He sent me. He didn't go. He sent his kids, but he'd go. It really messed his theology up. You know that? So anyway, so anyway, so, so uh, we're that way. And, and I, I don't want to get off. Uh, and I'm about to go down a rabbit trail, and I don't want to do that. You don't have to bring this up. But in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, I was reading that last night, and here's what, what the Lord said. He said, you left your first love. You left your first love. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Go, go, do the deeds you did at first. He doesn't say go back and do them. He said, just start doing what you did. What you did at first, do now. What was that? Love the Lord. With all my heart and believing that God could do anything that we spoke out of faith. And believing that what we saw was real. Because when you, when you go into the book of Acts and everybody likes the upper room experience. And everybody likes when 5,000 was born into the kingdom of God that day. Hey listen, all they did was just get up and start speaking about Jesus. They didn't do anything else but start speaking about Jesus. And as they spoke about Jesus, everything else followed them. It was totally amazing. And what followed him? Healing followed him. Deliverance followed him. Resurrection followed him. It was an amazing thing. And they were destroying the works of the devil. And then the, even before uh, the apostles were dead, the, the churches start to become a social place and, and are allowing different things to come in. And that's why when John's on the island of Patmos, that he's going to write to the seven churches. And what he's going to write to the seven churches about is what's going on today in our churches. This is what he's writing to. And he says, and, and so he says to John, Jesus is speaking to John. He said, I got the pastors in my hand. I got the churches in my hand. And he said, now, John, you're going to go back there and straighten that thing up. And hopefully those angels of that church, those pastors of that church will listen and help the churches so that they'll stand when the day's evil. Listen to me. Do you understand an evil day's coming? And do you understand when the evil day comes that it's not going to be a church that has allowed secularism and humanism to come in and protect you? 
You know what's going to take care of you is the church of the living God that is filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God is going to give us the power to suffer for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 says, After that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. And the word witness means martyr. Now pay attention to this because this is important. And he said, you're going to be martyred in Jerusalem. You're going to be martyred in Judea. He says, and you're going to be martyred to the, to the uttermost part of the earth. And we think that we're supposed to be going in there and we're witnessing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, I'm going to give you power to die, power to suffer when the occasion comes. And it's here on us. Now, I'm going to tear our beliefs all up. Now watch this. We're talking about Isaiah, and you just saw precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Here a little means that we've cross-referenced. We've studied the Word. We know the Word. We've studied it precept upon precept. What, 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 what are we speaking in the first person? Are we speaking in the second person? Are we speaking in the imperative voice? And they're going on. And we got, we got great preachers that can do those things. I'm not one of them, but we got great preachers that can do those things. And then line upon line, line upon line means exactly the way the word is preaching it. And then what happens is then you're going to do a little bit of cross-reference. And you're going to go to this place and prove the word of God. You're going to go to this place and you're going to prove the word of God. We got a lot of people that can do that. And then he says something. And with stammering lips in a foreign tongue, I'll speak to my people. It's what he says. And here's what he says will happen. He said to them, here's the rest. This is what he said. It gives rest to the weary. What? The stammering lips and the foreign tongue. You know, oh, that's not what he meant. Really? You don't think it is. Isn't that amazing in verse 13? So the word logos, the word, here's the logos, the word. You all got it on your laps or you got it on your telephone, the logos. You want the logos, but you don't want the rhema. What's the rhema? The rhema word is when God brings down the rhema and gives you revelation of the logos. You, 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 you want the logos, and I don't mean you. I'm saying that in second person. People want the logos, but they don't want the rhema. You know, why not the rhema? Because you got an eardrum, and that rhema is going to start speaking to your eardrum. This word, this logos word, you read it, and you'll read it in silence. It don't hit your eardrum. Start reading it out loud, and it hits your eardrum. But when the rhema starts to talk, man, the rhema comes right into your heart and starts to speak. That's an amazing thing. We talk about the logos, and we talk about the rhema, and we talk about being vertical, and we talk about being horizontal. And a horizontal Christian is one that has a relationship with the people in the church, and a vertical Christian is one that has a relationship with God, but not the people. And God said, I want you horizontal, and I want you vertical, because this logos right here, I want to speak to you, and when I speak to you out of this logos, I'm going to speak to you out of the rhema. And what the rhema is going to come down, and what 
what the rhema is going to do is going to hit this word right here, this logos, and it's going to be spoken, and it's going to hit your eardrum, and when it hits your eardrum, it's going to hit your heart, and then all of a sudden, God gives revelation like you've never had it before, and then the church erupts in revival, and that's what we say we want, but do we really want revival? Do we? Because you've got to have more than this logos. You've got to have the one who wrote this logos speaking to you through this thing so you understand what he says. And listen to what he says. He said, I'll speak to you with stammering lips if you'll let me. He said, I'll speak to you with a foreign tongue. He said, if you'll let me. And that foreign tongue doesn't mean like a German coming in here and speaking to us. It doesn't mean like us going to somewhere else. It means a foreign tongue. It's meaning a tongue that we've not heard before. The stammering tongue is the one that sounds like a little bitty gibberish and, and, and it sounds like a baby talking. And the foreign tongue is when God comes and he starts to put that tongue inside of you and all of a sudden then everything starts to make sense. He said, what it'll do, give you rest. Rest for the weary. I'm reading Revelation last night. I thought, well, read out loud. My dog was with her in the bedroom, sleeping at the foot of the bed, but not my two cats. My two cats are right there. And one of my cats get up and walk on my Bible. I said, now you can't do that. I mean, that cat's sitting right there and he gets it wants to walk on my Bible. And I said, now you can't walk on my Bible. But you sit right there. And I start reading to my cats the Word of God. I start reading. And my cats are listening. And all of a sudden... I thought, you know what? I want to talk to you, Lord. And the Holy Ghost come on me. I start speaking in a language to the Lord. Man, God come down through there and he brought a rest to me like I needed. How many do you understand? I was resting in the Lord. Just resting in the Lord. And then I went on and read a little bit more. And as I read a little bit more, then I start speaking in a, in, in a foreign tongue. I start speaking with stammering lips. It's totally amazing. We had, when, when I opened uh, myself up again and I said, Lord, I want to be used. And he said, I want you to go back and do what you did. Okay, and as soon as I did that, man, doors were open and people start coming in. People with problems. People with demons. Which you don't believe in. But Hollywood does. We don't believe in devils. We don't believe. But boy, Hollywood does. Making a lot of money on it. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. And, and you, know, you know what is really neat, uh, interesting about Hollywood? They don't make it pretty. It's full of blood and guts and all of hell itself. And people are drawn to that. Why in the world would anybody be drawn to that? And we've got to be careful in our school because we have parents that will let the kids do that. And they don't even see nothing wrong with that. So the door opened up. And so God's teaching me again about demonic spirits. And so he, the Lord said, now, I, I want to teach you one fallacy 
that you've always preached it's not true. And I said, oh boy, that ain't going to be too neat. So what's that? And he said, demons, he said, don't go into other people. He said, you're not going to read that nowhere. He said, a demon has to have permission. Now, when the demons ask permission to go in the swine, and, and, and he said, listen, he said, don't be afraid of demons. He said, and I'm not, I'm not anyway. And so I'm, I'm praying. And, and so anyway, so, so these demons, people are coming to me now with demons. And I'm involving some of the people in this church. Not all of you, because all of you can't handle it. Because if, if I involve some of you, you're not coming back. Some years ago, I had some people in this church that just needed deliverance. And, uh, Tony, did you go to them? No, no I don't think you did. You, did. you went, yeah, okay. And so I named the people. No, I'm not going to name you. I'm a little smarter today. That's 20 years ago. I named the people. And there was about five of the people. When I got there, there was more than five. So, boy, we go right into this warfare. And things start happening. And the people that I asked to help had demons. Boy, you're all interested now. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Follow me with the camera. One young man, when he seen them demons manifested, he went up against the wall. And do you ever see those pictures on TV where the people blend right into the wall? That boy blended right into the wall. Remember that? And then we had this one brother, and he was big out of Louisiana. Boy, full of the Holy Ghost, man. I'm ready. I say, come over to help me. And I went to grab. He said, don't you touch me. I thought, oh, no. Remember that? And I thought, that is one big man. And he said that. And we found out that he'd been in Ouija boards. And he'd been fortune tellers and different things. And he was in voodoo. He was, somebody was big in voodoo. In voodoo. And I, we delivered that guy. And we delivered people from that. Right? That was in our church operating and... and, and had no idea some of the things going on. Because listen, demons have to have permission to come in. And so, how are they going to get permission? They get permission by what you look at. They get permission by what falls on your eardrum. They, they, they get permission in so many different ways. And so we were ministering to this young lady the other day, Doris, Nancy, and I, and when we went back in, it was horrible. Some of the things that she, ha she had been into and some of the things that had happened to her and some of those things. And it was amazing. And so then we get this other guy and, and the demons had made him blind. He had 20-20 vision, one eye, 20-25 in the other. And, and he was afflicted and he couldn't even walk. And what happens is we go back into the spiritual warfare and every time, listen to what happens, every time when, when demons are cast out of a person. It's an amazing thing. The, uh, uh, Jesus teaches in the book of Matthew, he says that when a demon comes out of a house and the house is swept clean, 
he will come back to see if anything or anybody has inhabited that house. And if they haven't inhabited that house, then they come back in, they bring in seven demons worse than what they are. And so what you see is, is, is we, we see that now in operation, okay? And so after we, after we do that, then we, we teach them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's totally amazing to me that every time they start to speak in tongues. And they spoke in tongues. And when they did, God came inside. And when he came inside, no more did those demonic spirits now have permission. They can't come in there and they cannot dwell in that person. It's an amazing thing. Now, you say... You say, Pastor, that's not relevant for today. It's more relevant for today than it's ever been. And the reason for that is because if you'll read Revelation, it's going to teach you. And if you read 24 and 25 of Matthew, and if you'll read 2 Thessalonians, what it's going to teach us is that in this day, the last of the last days, the last days of eschatology, that demons by the billions are going to be poured out on the earth. And they are already being poured out on the earth. And so why is it important? It's important so that the authentic church, as Doc says, the authentic church can go to work. And when we do, we're going to go to work in the spiritual realm like we've never gone before. Now, how are we going to do that? We're going to teach the Logos and we're going to pray that the rhema comes. And when the rhema comes, we want the rhema to speak through us. And I'm going to guarantee you what he's going to do. He's going to speak to us through the fruitful word, which is what I'm doing right now. And then what he's also going to do for me, he's going to speak through me with stammering lips in a foreign tongue. And that's not for you. That's for me to build me up so that I can do it again. Do it again. So do I have to speak in tongues? You don't have to do anything you don't want to. God's not going to make you do anything. But don't tell me that it's not the Word of God because it is the Word of God. And don't come and tell me that it was for yesterday because it's not for yesterday because Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what was good for Jesus in that day is good for us now and it's going to be good forever because that's what God does. Listen to what he said. He said to them, he said, you are going to receive rest. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 13, so the word, the Logos of the Lord to, be, to them will be this. Precept on precept, precept upon precept, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. That's it. You don't want me to speak to you with stammering lips or a foreign tongue? Okay, we won't do that. Because 1 Corinthians says something. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 39 says... It's an amazing thing that when Paul's talking about the gifts and he starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and he lists all nine gifts and there he's talking about those gifts that God wants to give us today so that we can be the powerhouse church that God wants us 
that be so that we can win the world to the Lord. Because when we win the world to the Lord, the Bible says that the Jewish people are going to become jealous. And when they become jealous, listen to what they're going to want. They're going to want exactly what God gave the Gentile. How many of you understand that? And when that happens, then there is going to be a revival second to none. And the revival that's going to be second to none is that the Holy Spirit will come and He will operate in all of the gifts. And when He operates in all of the gifts, the power of the church is going to be so awesome that only thing that the devil can do is kill us. You say you don't want to die. You better get ready to die because there's going to come a time for your testimony that they're going to say to you, you can recant your testimony and live, or if you keep your testimony, you're going to die, and you're going to be able to stand up and say, the Holy Ghost has come upon me, and therefore he has given me power to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given me power to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you understand this? That that person needs rest. And how do you get that rest? Stammering lips and a foreign tongue. And it'll land on the eardrum of God. It will land on the eardrum of the devil. And the devil will be defeated and God will bring the rhema right down to us. Like we've never had the rhema before. I'm going to part with this and listen to what he said. He said they wouldn't hear of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39. You know what he says? He says, covet to prophesy. That's what I'm doing right now. He said, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. And yet we went against that word. And we've done exactly what he told us not to do. And we've covered it with every lie that we can cover it with. And we've lost our nation. We lost our nation. And why did we lose our nation? Because the church itself lacks the power now to drive anything away. I heard one preacher say this. He said, if you took the power that's in the nominal church and you turned it into gasoline, he said it wouldn't be enough gasoline to fill the gas tank of a flea's motorcycle. That's pretty cool. Now watch what he says. Now watch what he says. He said, they didn't want me to speak in the, in, in the stammering lip, the foreign tongue. And he said, they, that they may go, and they stumbled backward. They were broken. They were snared by the devil in the web of the devil. Now listen to what it says. And they were taken captive. And our nation today is stumbling backward. You see this gas going down? Don't you believe a word of that? Midterms are coming up and all they want to do is look good. And it's an interesting thing about the devil. Gasoline could still be sold for 50 cents a gallon or less. Interesting thing about the devil, what they'll do is they'll drive gasoline up to $5 a gallon when they want you to pay $3 a gallon. When, 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 it, when it got down to under a dollar in some places right there in Neosho, Missouri here just about three and a half years ago, and nothing's changed since then, but no, what they do is they drive it up there to $5, and then you think you got cheap gas because you're getting it at three. Yeah, and then you're going to vote them in. Look what they've done. They brought gas down. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'll make a prediction. 
Gas is going to get down to about $2 and $2.50 somewhere in there. And we're going to say, happy days are here again. No, it's a ploy of the devil. And then what we're going to do is we're going to vote the Democrats. We're going to, uh, the progressive liberals, liberals, not the Democrats, I apologize. But we're going to, we're, we're going to do the progressive liberal, liberals and vote them in again. And then gas is going up again to 5 or $6 a gallon. And they're going to play it over and over and over and over. Why? Because we've been taken captive. Because these words have landed on our eardrums and we've listened to them. No, listen to what he said. He said, you want to do away with it? Do away with it. But here's the consequence. He said, you'll stumble backward. You'll be broken. You'll be snared. He said, then you'll be taken captive. It's an amazing thing about what Jesus said though. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I came to give you life, but not just life, but the abundant life, more abundantly. Let's stand. Here's the deal. We take that, please. Here's the deal. You can, Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth, Go out and glean in the field. And Boaz sees Ruth. Ruth was a very pretty lady. And he falls in love with her. And she is gleaning in the field because Ruth and Naomi don't have anything. Their husbands are all dead. They have no children. And so... Boaz sees Ruth come out there. So he says to the young ladies who are gleaning, he said, I want you to take a handful of purpose, handful and throw it on the ground. And when she comes, she'll get it. She'll put it in her apron. She doesn't know that Boaz has done that for her. And she doesn't know that, that there's a handful of purpose. So she's taking it all. She brings Naomi and they eat. But Naomi's not satisfied, Pastor, with a handful of purpose. Naomi wants it all. And she said, here's what you're going to do. Don't you know the man's in love with you? And don't you know that he is not going to let anything rest until he's got it figured out? Don't you know God's in love with you? And don't you know He's going to work it out for you? And Naomi tells Ruth what to do, and she follows the instructions. And here's what it is. Hey, Ruth, why should we settle for a handful of purpose when we can have it all? Why, church, will you settle for a handful of purpose when you can have it all? And the having, having it all is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Power of God to be invested in your life. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Here a little, there a little. With stammering lips in a foreign tongue, I will talk to my people. And they will find rest. Because through that there is rest.
for the weary. God opens that up to you and then it'll be your choice. Here's what takes place when the Holy Spirit baptizes you. You say, I have the, the Lord in me. You do. When you got saved, Jesus came to live in you. But then there's a baptism which he just picks you up and drops you in the ocean of himself. The baptism. It's an amazing thing about the baptism. And then when he baptizes you, here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you gifts. And then when he gives you gifts, you're going to be accountable for them for the rest of your life. I'm accountable. So I say, Lord, why am I not operating that way? He said, it's not my fault. I give you those gifts. So I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Go back to being an extemporaneous preacher. But that's not what he said to do. No, 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 no. He said, precept upon precept. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. And you know what that means? Study. That's all that means. Study. And he said, and then he's going to say to me, and you're going to get weary with studying. Because even, even Solomon said in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, he said, many books will make you weary. Sometimes I read too much. Anybody guilty of that? Many books will make you weary. And so he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do precept upon precept. I want you to do line upon line. I want you to know about the first person, second person, third person, the imperative. I want you to know about those things. He said, then I want you to cross-reference. And the more you read the Bible, you say, wow, I read that over here somewhere. And you'll bring it together, okay? And then he said, listen, you're going to get tired. Then when you get tired, I'm going to speak to you through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. I'm going to fall on my eardrum. And then I'm going to talk back to him with stammering lips and a foreign tongue. And it's going to fall on his eardrum. My goodness. And then the rhema and the logos come together. And when that happens, the power of God comes through the place. Man, I raise my hands to the Lord. Can you raise your hands to the Lord? Hallelujah. 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 Boy, I wish. I'm, I'm like Paul. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I, I have to speak in the known language so that you can learn. But when I'm by myself, I'm going to speak with stammering lips in a foreign tongue. And I might even do some of that right here. I think, I think Pastor, my cats knew what I was talking about when I was speaking in tongues. I think they did. Father God, I pray that every person in this church receive a language, a prayer language, where they can enter into that secret closet and you bring them rest through 
stammering lips and a foreign tongue. Because, Father, I don't want to fall backward. I don't want to stumble backward. I don't want to be snared. I don't want to be in a spider web of the enemy. Father God, I want to go forward. I don't want to be broken by the devil. But I want to go forward. I want to be fixed. I want to be healed right now in Jesus' name.